the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week our main item on the show is about Michael Noonan's legacy after six years as Minister for Finance. You'll hear from former Labour Party TD Pat Rabbit, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and IBEC Chief Executive Danny McCoy. Later in the show, Davin O'Dwyer will take us through Apple's latest announcements, while Laura Slattery will tell us how Netflix is managing to stay ahead of the competition. Don't forget you can download this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. But we'll start with Michael Noonan. He was appointed as Minister for Finance in March 2011 in the Fine Gael Labour Party coalition that swept to power in the wake of the financial crash. He took the reins at a time of deep austerity with unemployment at 15% and Ireland in the Troika bailout programme. As he prepares to depart office, Ireland is now the fastest growing economy in the Eurozone. Unemployment is at about 6.4% and we've recorded record levels of foreign investment. But his detractors would point to higher levels of inequality, a housing market in chaos and the 13 billion euro Apple ruling as policy failures. Joining me in studio to tease out these issues and many more are Pat Rabbit, former Labour Party TD, IBEC Chief Executive Danny McCoy and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Pat Rabbit, we might start with you. You served in government, in that government, uh, with Michael Noonan uh, post-March uh, 2011. What's your assessment of his time in power? Well, I suppose it depends on whether you belong to the view of the world that says the Irish government ought to have defaulted at the time. If you hold that view, uh, well, then Michael Noonan was the wrong man uh, at the wrong time. And he did look at possibly defaulting on the Anglo-Irish Bank senior bonds, but was very much thrown off that path by uh, Jean-Claude Trichet, who's the The response of the the ECB, uh, you would have been very courageous indeed uh, to take it on. And, uh, you know, uh, he decided to respond to that by departing from a decision that we had effectively made and setting about seeing how can you incrementally improve uh, the burden that we were we were labored with. And from that point of view, um, uh, you know, I, I, I acknowledge that there was an argument to default, but I have yet to be persuaded by anybody who holds that view that the alternative would not be worse. So in those circumstances, I think Michael Noonan was undoubtedly the right man in the right place uh, at that time because it was a question of um, reputation, restoration, uh, a question of restoring confidence. We were at a very low ebb at that time and other countries uh, seemingly had very little confidence Mm. uh, or reliability on what they were being told from Ireland. And gradually, Noonan re-established our reputation and established very strong relations with the likes of Scheible, who was a critical minister in the ECOFIN setup. Mm. And, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, He communicated uh, solidity, uh, wisdom, uh, you know, uh, that you could rely on his word, that the Irish government was stable and was trying to uh, re-establish, uh, re-establish its credibility. And uh, I think he achieved that. Was it a game of two halves in, that, in the first, let's say, three years maybe of, uh, of his term as Minister for Finance? It was, as you say, all about re-establishing credibility, getting Ireland back into the marketplace, being able to borrow again, 
getting the economy moving, getting unemployment uh, down, etc. But maybe post that, when the economy starts to turn around, starts to grow again, there, you know, a different strategy perhaps was was needed uh, to tackle housing and other policy initiatives. Well, you know, I suspect they'll be writing books about that in twenty five years' time. They'll still be working on it. I mean, the government, to some degree, was hoist on its own petard. It had to bruise about the success of waving goodbye to the Troika. Uh, The forecasts at the time uh, suggested that we would be in the middle of a second bailout, uh, that it was inevitable uh, that, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to meet the targets and so on and so forth. And, of course, it inflicted a lot of pain. I mean, uh, a a lot of people were hurt uh, as a result of the decisions that had to be taken. But there was a tremendous cohesion in that government in terms of the resolve to make it work. And yes, uh, then post-Troika, we were confronted with new circumstances. The housing thing undoubtedly crept up on us. At the time that we went into government, if you talked about building houses, people would send for the guys in white coats to have you taken away. There was an overhang of housing everywhere, including in Dublin. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the perfect storm of uh, no builders left standing, banks not wanting to extend credit, even if there were builders standing, because they were more interested in internal rectification of their own uh, ratios than they were in extending money for, for house building or carrying builders for 12 months or 18 months as would have been necessary. And the result is, yes, it did gradually creep up uh, on the government. I don't think anybody foresaw it getting as acute as it has. That's probably, uh, to some degree, a generational comment. People of a certain age um, forget that uh, people who were 20 when the crash happened, uh, you know, are 30 and uh, looking for accommodation. Danny McCoy, uh, how do employers view the six years of Michael Noonan's time as Minister for Finance? I mean, you know, arguably employees would say there's a very high tax burden there. There is, but I I think his pro-enterprise inclination, I think, has to be acknowledged. Um, He certainly was the colloquial face of the Troika years, and that helped, you know. um, It was a country that had lost confidence. It was good to see somebody that had experience and had an Irish face as opposed to Chopra. Um, I think people bought into that. So I think, as you said, the first three years are very important. Um, I think his legacy in the last couple of years was probably he missed, which we would have considered to be very obvious signs that the economy was in recovery. And so I disagree with Pat. I think this was very observable three years ago. And uh, I've took some pain personally on this, having called it out. Um, Our first meeting with the Troika, uh, back in 2010 was to say in 2011 there would be wage growth in the Irish economy and the Irish economy would be growing and lots of people were sceptical here. The Troika weren't uh, after a year and I think that was 2011 and we are you know, quite you know, half a decade or more on from that now and we're still with these uh, supply side constraints. What could you I, done? I, I think that's a fair, fair enough comment and it is factually true that, uh, that Danny did indeed make statements at, at that time. I think the problem, though, was that insofar as I can see, there was essentially an investment strike underway by the development stroke builder uh, category that, uh, you know, uh, they weren't prepared to build. Uh, On top of that, they had serious difficulties with the banks, but that even where that didn't happen, 
there wasn't sufficient profitability mm. on it at that time. What about now, that argued? Nama? That argued, I suppose, for a state intervention of some kind uh, at the time, and uh, you know, um, it, it wasn't taken. And, that's the fact of the matter. I, I think, though, in fairness to Michael Noonan, um, the success was to under-promise and over-deliver in the first phase. I think that was a game plan, and that remained in place. It's still a kind of an under-promising. Um, and I think that's and in part the second phase? That, uh, sorry, I think that's probably what's happened now. There's an under-promising, which seems like a great strategy, as if it's costless, but it's not anymore. You know, you need to have that ambition. You need to have that kind of risk. And it is with risk. You know, I'm not saying that it's easy as Minister of Finance to take these kind of risks and the future one will have the same dilemma. Well, can you do tackle that in the context of the fiscal rules uh, in terms of investing in infrastructure that's badly needed? Well, absolutely. So if, if you look at the Juncker plan, and that's been out there now two years about the use of public-private partnerships to get inside those rules, we haven't shown any ambition. Yeah, mind you, some yes. of those uh, public-private partnerships obviously collapsed uh, when, when the economy went south. I want to bring in Cliff Taylor at this point. Um, Cliff, is Michael Noonan a bit too cautious? He talks about a debt-to-GDP ratio of 45%, that being the target, mm. uh, which is much lower than what's required under the EU rules. I think sure. we're at about 70% now. And obviously, it's come way down yeah. from the, uh, the peak of about 120%. And Leo Varadkar seems to be moving away from that. He seems to want more capital spending, so he seems sure. to be happy for us to carry a higher, relative, relatively speaking, uh, debt load. Yeah, I mean, you're into the, uh, the debate here about the famous leprechaun economics and our, our national economic data. And the problem really is that it's very hard to set metrics that you sh that you can judge the Irish economy by because our our main figures, our GNP figures, our GDP figures are so messed up, if you like, by the activities of multinationals here. So if you talk to to uh, to Danny, for example, he'll say to you that uh, it's well able to say it himself, of course, that the forty five percent target is far too ambitious. And Iabic have said that look, this is going to really stymie the ability of the government to invest over the next few years. On the other side of the argument, you have the Fiscal Advisory Council, uh, the, 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 the budget watchdog, the independent budget watchdog, which came out yesterday and said, look, if you take into account the, the, the fact that our economic figures are, are messed up so much, even 45% mightn't be enough. Uh, because in reality, you know, it isn't it isn't as good as it looks, and in reality, our debt burden is uh, is higher than it looks. And I guess when when you pull back from it a bit, you know, that is a really important argument we're going to have over the next six months, and the government's going to publish its national capital plan for the period out to 2021. It's going to be a really key document. How is it going to be funded? How is it going to be managed in terms of the public finances? But, you know, behind all that, we still do have a national debt of, you know, close to 200 billion. So whoever takes up the big job uh, in the Department of Finance is going to have to live with that. And that is going to be a big constraint uh, on, on them, whatever precise uh, target they they choose. Interestingly, Leo Varadkar himself, in his uh, policy document for the leadership, uh, did say that he felt that Michael Noonan's forty-five percent target was a bit, uh, a bit too ambitious. Maybe you, uh, you got to him beforehand, Danny? Did you? I don't know, but um, he said he felt it, you know it was too ambitious, and he felt you know fifty-five percent might be a more appropriate figure. It's yeah. going to be an important debate because it's going to set a really key benchmark for policy here over the next four or five years. Pat Nama was a key player and has been a key player in the Irish economy over the last uh, six years and I suppose in the first few years nothing really happened in the Irish context they were selling properties in London and doing stuff overseas but nothing happened here. Was that a mistake in hindsight? Well of course uh, you know with the benefit of hindsight you might say that some things could have been done differently the, 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 the problem I think is that would you have the economic recovery that we have now seen 
if NAMA didn't set about its task in the early stages uh, in the fashion that it did. Uh, you know, I mean, we have a number of developers now being marched out on radio to tell us, um, you know, uh, the mistake of selling assets at uh, rock bottom prices. And I presume you're you referring know, to Michael O'Flynn, David Daly. These, yeah, these yeah, that, that that kind of argument. But I mean, would we have lifted off at all if NAMA hadn't intervened? Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, we can go back to the night that NAMA was set up and talk about the nature of the legislation, whether that was the wisest move at that time, whether the constraints put on NAMA, whether the secrecy that surrounds NAMA, whether the prohibition on selling back loans to the same developers, all that kind of thing was wise. But, you know, there was a, there was a feeding frenzy at the time. And, you know, nobody knew uh, where the bottom was. And, you know... The, the, the prevailing political mood anyway was that, you know, developers at the time were toxic, that they had contributed uh, a, a fair share, bankers, the larger share uh, in contributing to the disaster that befell us. So, you know, I, I think, yes, in hindsight, you could say that in terms of intervening in the housing market, that NAMA could have done more uh, and perhaps could have been more flexible in the way that they approached it. Mm, Danny, you're nodding your head in approval there. Do you agree? Well, actually, just we're talking about Michael Noonan. I thought his greatest achievement was the promissory note steal. I thought that was um, actually really difficult to have achieved. I think it was a game changer. And so I agree with Pat is that it's very difficult. So it was the Anglo-Irish Bank. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, also it released us from quite a heavy debt. And it was actually making good on a promise that our EU colleagues had made to us the summer before and reneged on, which I think is important as well that we would uh, factor that in. Um, so, I, you know, it is easy in hindsight to say what one should have done, but where we are is in a successful phase. And my view in the latter years is that we could have been more ambitious, uh, particularly about the use of public-private partnerships. And just because things failed once in fairly extreme global circumstances doesn't mean we don't go down that route again. I think it's also important to record for history that, uh, you know, the deal on the promissory note that was opposed ultimately by the ECB and uh, the uh, European well, they're still uh, not a fan of it. authorities uh, again. And, you know, Michael Noonan that night was 12, 15 minutes late uh, into the chamber and pressed ahead with the arrangement. If that arrangement hadn't gone ahead, I, I don't think the government would have withstood having to pay a liability of in excess of three billion in March, I think it was March of that year. I don't think the government would have withstood it, and uh, Noonan pressed ahead, notwithstanding uh, importunings on him uh, not to go ahead. To do otherwise, yeah, I, think, I, I think there's an interesting contrast there. Uh, just after the that government took office in March 2011, shortly after that, um, there was a plan to, as we spoke about earlier, burn the Anglo some of the Anglo and Irish nationwide senior bondholders. Now, financially, that mightn't have made a massive difference. I think there was about four billion in play in total. And, you know, would we have got two? Would we have got three out of that? But politically, it, you know, it would have been huge after what was said during the election campaign. And famously, uh, Minister Noonan's speech was was sent to various people for approval. And the view came back from Frankfurt that, uh, you know, this wasn't going to wash. And he had to change the speech at the last minute and and pull back. 
And I suppose... So this is it, the famous uh, bomb would go off in Dublin. If you yeah, 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 yeah. And then... This is the three-shade warning. Uh, allegedly, yeah. And then uh, and, and he'd, he'd said something similar, of course, to uh, to Brian Lenhan b- b- beforehand. And then, the, you know, the contrast a few years later in terms of the promissory note deal when there were misgivings in Frankfurt. But I think at that stage, Michael Noonan, if you like, had his feet under the table. Uh, and, and I expect had a bit of political backing from uh, from Schauble in Berlin, president in the ECB. Yeah, and uh, you know, Great. I think I think some of the ECB protestations uh, were were for the record almost, uh, and you would expect that in fact that deal had been done via yeah. Schauble and uh, the formula and Draghi. You know, it, uh, yeah, that was all Draghi said that they had noted it. Yeah, sure. And that yes, was a big indeed, advance. A one, yeah, a big advance politically. Uh, Pat, can I ask you what he was like to deal with and how influential he was in, in Cabinet? How much of what happened, the policy decisions that were taking place uh, over six years were, were then, or five years, uh, as, as maybe you would have known it, um, were, were down to Michael Noonan and how much maybe down to, to Kenny or to other players in government? Well, uh, a great deal really goes back to the uh, construction of the vehicle, which Eamon Gilmore, I think, was the main driver behind of the Economic Management Council. I mean, that functioned really as a, a war office in terms Much of... Much derided by the opposition, it must be said. Yeah, but I think the opposition was wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, there may be interesting theses that you can write about the constitutionality of a committee like that uh, taking decisions that ought to have been thrashed out more fully at Cabinet. But it, um, it, it the focus that the four ministers were able to bring to that was hugely important. And it also obviated the possibility of leaking because uh, every cabinet leaks and uh, there was especially one leaker in our cabinet and that was known. Who was that? Uh, Well, it was so well known that I know a minister who leaked the occasional thing in the belief that he wouldn't get the blame because he knew who would get the blame. So uh, I won't go further than that, but it did uh, obviate that and that was important uh, at the time because some of the stuff... Uh, coming at us, um, you know, was extraordinary. So, you know, somebody like myself got my briefing privately, privately from Michael Noonan rather than making a row at Cabinet about certain things. And I think also, uh, historically, it ought to be recorded that Brynden Howland played a very important role at that time, uh, not least in taking a huge burden of the day-to-day routine of that office as previously applied uh, from Michael Noonan's shoulders. Yeah. Looking Just for the benefit the of listeners, he was running the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, which was effectively pulled out of uh, finance when that government was set up in March 2011. That's right. I, I think I rather on balance would hope that they're not re-emerged or re-amalgamated because there, there was merit in, and certainly there was merit in terms of workload, uh, you know, which left Michael Noonan to deal with banking and taxation and fiscal matters and so on. And I think that as regards how he was to deal with it, I have to say that I I certainly owe him uh, a debt in that he was more than helpful to me on a couple of important occasions, like, for example, the first nine months of my life in that ministry were tortured by the big idea uh, that Fine Gael had advanced before the election, which was New Era. And basically the idea there was that all of the state companies would be vested in a holding company that would raise whatever capital it could raise for investment, productive investment purposes elsewhere. And when we got down to uh, drill down into that and examine the problems that that might 
give rise to in terms of, for example, the arrangements that each of the state companies had in place for their own funding. A company like the ESB that had its own treasury and raised its own funding and so on, a good track record with the European Investment Bank and all of that kind of thing. It just wasn't feasible. But some of the ideologues, um, unelected, uh, really uh, tortured my first nine months' existence. And if the Minister for Finance had weighed in with them, I think I would have been in some trouble. But in the event, he didn't. And we came to uh, a rational enough arrangement that has left New Era as a an expert advisory, advisory body capacity, yeah. in terms of... Uh, Danny? just want to pick up on something that Pat said there about the merging back of public expenditure and finance. Um, I think that was a, f- you know, first of all, I'd like to ask him whether it was about, you know, two different departments with, with possibly one minister, which has been speculated on at the moment. Pascal Donahue uh, tipped for that role. Yeah. Pascal certainly been tipped for that. Uh, but actually, is now the time that we actually think about having the Department of the Economy? Because when you go back to what Cliff was talking about earlier, about the 45% being ambitious, um, 45% is actually incredibly prudent. It's not ambitious in the sense of an economy. It's prudent Department of Finance or Treasury thinking. And do we need to break from this now, given where we find ourselves with all the challenges from mm. Brexit, the new Europe, that not alone should we have not two Department of Finances, which effectively we have, but actually one, and one that's much more ambitious Department of the Economy. Pat? Uh, I, I, I would rather see that um, uh, involved in some reconfiguration of the Department of Public Expenditure uh, as distinct from being reposed in a single ministry. I think that if you repose it in a single ministry, that the officials and the permanent government won't get away from uh, the minutiae of fiscal parameters, European mandates, and so on. Uh, If the choice was, would you merge the two departments or would you have one minister responsible for the two departments, I would go for the latter. But I think that there is merit at this juncture of our economic redevelopment or recovery uh, in what Danny is arguing for in terms of an economic business focus. And I'd rather see that based on... I I think apart from anything else, at this notion of a government that is 12 months old and that maybe has only a 12 months lifespan, I think to go back into the business of... Uh, re- merging the two departments yeah, and all time. the rows that would go on about turf wars and yeah. all of the the bureaucratic resistance. Uh, I don't think it's worth the candle at this stage. Yeah, right. I think I was going to say I think this is one of the difficult things for Leo Ranker and and his colleagues because a lot of the, the big things that need to be done are going to take years to do, uh, sure. or several years. To and do he's, he's leading a minority government, broadband, you know, yeah. roads, etc. It, it looks as if Leo is going to be invested as uh, Taoiseach on June the fourteenth, so we should have. Uh, mm-hmm the details of his cabinet at that point. Yeah. Um, who do you think should be appointed as Minister for Finance or who do you think is likely to get it? Well, if all the all the, uh, all the the talk is Pascal Donoghue, uh, you know. Richard Bruton? I'd, I'd be surprised. Um, there's a lot of talk about whether Richard will be in the cabinet, out of the cabinet. He came, came out early to support Leo Varadkar and I suppose in politics these, the these kind of things are, as a, these kind of things are important. 
Um, will he get I, to the part? You know, if if there was a minister for public spending being put in, quite possibly he'd be he'd be the person. But there is this. So Pascal gossip. to do finance and PER. That's or just the finance? that's the that's the word on the street, if you like. But there is okay. this thing about, um, as Pat said, do they want to go into restructuring at this stage of their uh, of their life? Um, are they talking about merging back the departments maybe after the next the next election? It, yeah. it is a bit messy, and and perhaps it isn't sorted out yet. Pat, what do you think? Well, I, I think if you see it in terms of who's close to the prospective Taoiseach, um, I think there's no comparison between uh, uh, Richard Bruton and Pascal. Pascal was always in that camp. Uh, Richard Bruton genuinely surprised everyone, including, I believe, Leo Varadkar, uh, by his early and definitive announcement. Um, he could be a candidate for Minister for Finance. He would be more conservative than Michael Noonan, he is one of the few genuine ideological conservatives. I served in a cabinet under his brother who was much um, attacked for his alleged conservative position. John Bruton actually evolved uh, as a politician, evolved politically. He was far more easy to do business. Richard is a genuine convinced conservative. I'm not sure that in context of the discussion we have had about 45% and uh, the needs of uh, uh, economic investment and so on, that Richard would be um, would would be, would the, be the, the ideal choice. And what do you think of Leo as Taoiseach? Uh, like everybody else, I have no idea. Uh, we don't know. Uh, Leo is an unknown. Uh, he's a, an immensely uh, talented uh, person. Uh, he's not particularly experienced as a, a politician, um, but he he certainly has insights that are off, I shouldn't say left field, but they're off the field anyway. He comes at it from outside the box. Uh, he could be a very exciting uh, prospect. Um, having said that, it would appear that he left health behind. Uh, I think a lot of people would have been more impressed if he had stayed with health uh, and uh, see if he could make some impact uh, on it. So he he is um, he he's he's unknown. He, he's a completely different man than the young fellow who came into the uh, Doyle yeah, ten years ten years ago. I mean, he really was a, a, a serious, a visceral uh, ideologue at that time. He he has changed, and certainly you know, uh, as a thirty eight year old. It's a generational change. It has energized young people. And, you know, there's a lot of goodwill behind him. Danny McCoy, I'm going to give you the last word. Who would the employers like to see as our next Minister for Finance? And what, what are the key policy issues for you in the next few years? Well, first of all, fairly agnostic. But in, in fairness to uh, Pascal Donoghue, whose name has been most mentioned, is an incredibly able uh, politician. And I think that... The real question for the next finance minister is, do you put prudence above purpose? This economy is crying out now for a purpose in terms of the ambition, in terms of housing, in terms of infrastructure around the country, in terms of how to deal with Brexit. If it's in the hands of the conservative finance mantra that we get the debt down and avoid for the third time in a generation of some of those public servants a crash of the finances, then I think it will be lost. But at the moment... I would say the money is on uh, Pascal Donoghue. For business, though, it's about showing ambition and actually leading to where business is at. And to just go back to what uh, Pat says, we realised why the four-ball 
in the last one was, was remarkable for an economy that's so business orientated that the Minister for Enterprise wasn't part of that four ball. OK, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Pat Rabbit and Danny McCoy. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be chatting about Apple's latest technology developments and how Netflix is staying ahead of the competition. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Don't forget, you can download this podcast for free on iTunes. It's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. I'm joined in the studio for this part of the show by Laura Slattery and Davin O'Dwyer of the Irish Times to discuss Apple and Netflix. Uh, Davin, you've been following Apple's latest announcements in terms of its technology at its developer conference in California. What are they proposing to do? Uh, well, unusually, they've announced, uh, announced a, a few hardware um, uh, products, which usually it's just software at the uh, developer conference. Um, so they've uh, announced a, a home uh, a HomePod uh, speaker to uh, to rival Google and uh, Amazon's uh, various uh, home speaker systems with personal assistant Siri uh, to uh, to hand to help with uh, any anything you need around the house. Um, and so that's the, the main hardware, as, long, as well as a new iPad uh, and uh, upgrades to the various MacBook lines and so on. And um, they're also going to make Amazon Prime available on their devices. Uh, yes. Yeah, so previously, Netflix has been the uh, the, the, the main uh, streaming TV streaming service available on the Apple TV as well as apps uh, for use on the iPads and uh, iPhones. Uh, this is a pretty big announcement. Previously. Amazon Prime TV services were just uh, just available on the uh, Amazon mm. uh, TV products, um, and uh, so this is good, definitely going to change the change that dynamic. It also highlights how Apple have been behind the game in terms of producing their own content. They've kind of ceded that ground to to their rivals. Uh, I think it's kind of a testament to the sort of hardware uh, dominated mo- business model that they have. Yeah, and good news if you want to get the grand tour of the Jeremy Clarkson and his buddies from Top Gear days. Indeed, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, Laura, that leads us into. To Netflix, uh, you've been following Netflix now for some time, and you wrote a column earlier this week saying that they're still managing to stay ahead of the competition. A lot we don't know about Netflix. We know it's successful, but we don't know how many subscribers they have in Ireland, and we don't know how many viewers they have per program. But that doesn't seem to bother anybody. Yeah, they they play on regardless. It's a bit of a black box of, of information, Netflix. I mean, you know, you say they stay ahead of their competitors. I mean, globally, their main competitor is probably Amazon Prime. Netflix has 98 million uh, users worldwide, and Amazon has Prime has about 80 million. But of course, Amazon is just kind of nascent uh, service in Ireland. You know, there's lots of people who access their shows through various... Uh, not so legal means, but as a well, no, as, as, as I a discovered product. recently myself, you can get it on your Samsung smart you can. TV. I mean, they, they they started doing that at the end of last year, so officially that's only been available since the end of last year. So it's very small; it doesn't have anything like the same. Doesn't spend the same uh, sort of uh, marketing uh, in Ireland the way Netflix does. You can see Netflix advertising and lots of everything from on you know in cinema screens to inside uh, air, old aircom phone boxes or old telecom air on. <laughs> phone boxes I should really say um, so you know there's some nice uh, linkages there um, but yeah so um, Netflix is we don't know how many subscribers they have in Ireland there was an estimate last year of 350,000 but it's that's based on a kind of a, a per capita uh, extrapolation from a UK figure which itself was a survey finding Netflix itself only has two numbers 
US and international. So we just don't know. I, I, my feeling is that it that's probably fairly accurate, but that also that it would have grown mm. quite a bit since then because Virgin Media has been offering Netflix to various users. And, it's, you know, it's, it's put it's sort of integrated on, on some of its platforms. So I suppose in an Irish context, Net, Netflix has really gone after Sky, hasn't it? It's gone after Sky Moves, Sky yeah. Sports, those kind of... I mean, uh, there's different price points, you know, so and obviously Sky Sports is, is, is in a field of its own. But it's, yeah, I mean, Sky and, and, and Netflix are kind of, they are, they do overlap in that entertainment space. Uh, and and Sky has recently launched a product that it's had in the UK for some years now, which is Now TV, which is, you know costs more than Netflix. Uh, it has a box, but you don't have to use the box to get it. Um, the box is currently being uh, rolled out in retail units, uh, retail uh, partners of Sky, uh, and it's a big advertising campaign. It's got all the access to all the HBO shows as well as the shows that Sky makes itself. Uh, Showtime shows everything from Twin Peaks to um, you know Game of Thrones is the big one this summer coming back for the uh, mini season that they have season seven um, but you know so Amazon's more of a fringe concern with the shows that it has um, but we don't know although it's, it's, it's a bit of a media bubble going on because you know Netflix is very popular because it's seen as quite affordable tenor a month uh, so you, it feels like lots of people are watching House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and Stranger mm. Things and all this stuff, the Marvel stuff. But really, I suppose, compared to traditional television, there are not more, more far more people are watching Carnation Street and sure. Fair City. Davin, are you a Netflix fan? I am a Netflix fan, yeah. The, uh, the um, uh, Sky Now is also uh, being released on, the, on iPads and on Apple TV mm-hmm. uh, and across devices. So you do have this situation where you've got a, a, a kind of glut of different services. Would the expectation be then that people subscribe to three different services? Well, Sky would say that they could do that. They're complementary. But I think realistically, people have a limit, don't mm. they? And the limit how much they can watch. So they kind of end up making a choice. And the, the limit to how much they could pay as well, I would well, have thought. The contrast yes. is very much with the kind of the Spotify model whereby people expect all their music to be uh, on the one service. They're not going to go, oh, well, I'll subscribe to those labels. Um, whereas with TV viewing, it's a, it's a very different sort of... See, uh, I'm really fascinated that you mentioned Spotify there because uh, um, it's sort of the same sort of sort of dilemma as now, uh, you know, faces people on the music side because, you know, this that, that new, you know, the new HomePod uh, Apple speaker that you mentioned there that you just that they just launched, it, just, it doesn't seem to be, you know, it's, it's very, you know, about Apple music and streaming music off that and it seems to be some doubt exactly what kind of will it have the same kind of functionality running Spotify that is at it, the it, moment it, it doesn't appear to have any yeah um, so uh, and that's that's interesting in that it highlights uh, uh, Apple's kind of mar- high margins on the hardware um, and with mm. services just to try to dif- differentiate that and the HomePod is considerably more expensive uh, than uh, the Amazon Echo um, about more than twice the price anyway and Laura, one of the big complaints I think with Netflix and one I would have myself as well is the search function is such a pain in the face. Um, is this where you're typing in letter A and letter B and letter C? And then well, even <laughs> that's, that's where a voice assistant would help you, Kira. <laughs> yeah, this is where the feature, maybe <clears throat> Netflix needs to get on the voice assistant uh, case. Right, get with um, the program, Netflix. That's the message from this podcast. I want to watch Narcos and I want to watch it now. <laughs> right, okay, we'll leave there. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Pat Rabbit, Cliff Taylor, Danny McCoy, Laura Slattery and Davin O'Dwyer. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. And of course, you can download this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.